Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians. Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And you found a place where math is not about memorizing and mimicking, waiting to be told or shown what to do, but it's about making sense of problems, noticing patterns, and reasoning using mathematical relationships. We can mentor mathematicians as we co-create meaning together. Not only are algorithms not particularly helpful in teaching mathematics, but rotely repeating steps actually keeps students from being the mathematicians they can be. So last week, we talked about how Pam and I view what it could look like to fit in all kinds of great things into a math classroom. And we shared that we like to think of a two-third, one-third split of time as kind of our structure of a math class. This week, we want to dive into some specific examples at a few grade levels to give you a better idea of what we mean. Yeah, we did some real general discussing about how it could all work and fit together. And we thought, man, let's give some examples. So. Here we go. We're going to dive into a few kind of representative grades. We won't do them all, but hopefully this gives you a little bit of an idea of what it could look like. So, for example, let's take grade one. If you are thinking about a first grade situation, I might think about a couple of days. I might think about starting off with a string where we work on doubles. And if Mm -hmm. I'm first grade, I'm working on small number doubles. We're, We're thinking about helping kids really uh, tackle doubles and, and get a, a feel so that it's kind of a, an automatic, you know, seven, seven, eight, and eight, that they kind of have this sort of sense of doubles. But then we might take from that string, we might dive into a collection, not really a counting collection, because what I want to do is I want to then have, I want to find halves of things. Mm-hmm. So we might say, hey, we're going to play a game and uh, you need half the deck of cards and you need half the deck of cards. So we're going to work on having so that we all have this better, sort of better sense of what how, how we can find halves. And I might give different uh, sets of things to different students and mm-hmm. have them split it in half. Like make sure mm-hmm. you have half, make sure your partner has half and let those kids just dive in. I've done this with first grade students. It's so much fun. Um, it's a really nice way to differentiate because I can uh, let, uh, give some students who are ready for more experience, I can give them the thumbtacks. Okay, that's maybe not the smartest thing. <laughs> yeah. Probably not a good one. I was trying to think of something that there was a lot of help. Yeah. Me. Uh, the post-it the, notes. Are there there's a lot a whole, of post-it notes? There's a lot of post-it notes in the set. Yeah. 
Okay. You could, you could buy little stacks, big stacks. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. Okay, I'm thinking cards. something where there's a lot so that they have to, or at least more, mm-hmm. uh, a number that I think that they can uh, really fuss with. But then I might hand a different group of students the markers. And yeah. I, you know, like here's a, here's a marker set of eight. And how do you know mm-hmm. if, if you have half? Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm being judicious to kind of make sure I'm giving students experiences that are yep. right on the edge of their zone of proximal development to really move them forward. And, and then I'm going to continue to give them better and bigger collections so that as they have them, they gain more experience. We, we do a math Congress about what were some ways that you were thinking about having. I would definitely want to pull out a strategy like, ooh, was anybody kind of dealing out? I give you one and then I get one and you get one and I get one because that's a strategy of making sure that we have an, anyway, blah, blah, blah. I I don't want to get too deep into any one of these. So this idea of an investigation in a Congress around having, then we might follow that up with a a doubles game. We might have a a game where you sort of roll a die and double that amount and then move that forward on the, on the uh, board. So that kids are like, again, they're sort of messing with this idea of doubles. So see how we're kind of doing things that are all kind of around the same idea um, I might follow that with a quick image problem string where I'm flashing doubles and we're and we're look, using the structure of the 10 frame or structure of a rec and rec to help students kind of uh, glance at doubles and see something. So in that kind of two thirds time, I've just described a sequence of tasks that could happen to really help students thinking about doubles. Really, it's about doubles. It's less about having. It's about doubles. We have to give them kind of this nice context of game playing. I'm not trying to cinch having. I'm trying to get that on their horizon to think about. But really, I'm giving them lots of experiences to count Mm -hmm. where the count matters. Right. So it's a big idea in first grade. Now, if that's the two-thirds time, what am I doing in the one-third time? Well, in the one-third time, I'm thinking about past games that we've already played that I want to keep going all year long. So Mm -hmm. I might bring those back. We might be doing counter rounds so that we're looking patterns in the base 10 number system. Like what are things that need to be happening all year long, really important things. And I'm going to continue to do those during that time. Yeah. I don't know, Kim, does that feel, yeah, Yeah, it feels good. And, and I, and I want to mention again that I, I think a small piece of what you said that maybe people maybe didn't catch is that you said this was not like all in one day. Like you're not tackling every <laughs> single one of the things that you said in one day. It might be over the course of two days or three days or, you know, I think it can be really easy to say, like, I want to master doubles in a day, right? And mm-hmm. and, and we know that that's not going to one standard. So that mm-hmm. one standard in isolation, okay, that's Tuesday. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you can feel like that is, you know, what you have to do, but we're taking this kind of like a, a wider approach to, what can I do to give kids experiences over the course of several days or a week or over time? And I love the one third bit of time because that's when you can cycle back to things that you know you've you've approached, but you still want to, you know, doubles are going to be something that you make use of all year long um, Absolutely. in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking about grade three and I, you know, I kind of was thinking in two days, what would a two day plan look like for me? And again, it's not that, you know, everything's going to be mastered in two days, but I thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm third grade, um, additions kind of a big deal in third grade. Um, and, and we expect kids to come to us as third grade teachers, um, having some solid addition, but, but we know that that's not always the case. And, And then we panic because like we have to tackle multiplication. So, I was thinking over the course of a couple of days for a two thirds time, I might start with, I have you need a whole class, just a routine to kind of get some things uh, started moving in their brains. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they might do with partners on day one. 
um, to, and, and I might do it with partners of five and, and multiples of 10. So fives and tens, just to start warming up and saying like, we're going to start doing some thinking within a hundred. Um, and, and if you've I never might... heard of, I have, you need, that's just oh, yeah. it, it's part, if it's partner of 10, you're, you're saying I have eight, what do you need to make 10? And the students are finding those partners of 10. Yeah. Or, but, or I'm, but I'm thinking, I, I really am thinking that I'm going to do um, partners of a hundred by tens to just bring out the idea of a hundred and then just see right, what's grade, happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if they never played ever before, then that might be a nice entry point. So then, then I think I'm going to do a rich task or maybe an open middle activity where students are working with those same partnerships. If, if I'm moving towards total of a hundred or total of 200, I, it's really important for me um, in third grade to have kids recognize that if I know 42 and 58, then I know that 142 and 58 is that next hundred. I think that's a really essential thing for kids to make sense of that there's just these partnerships within hundreds. And so I would absolutely spend some time doing some work around that. Let me give another example. So you're saying like, if, if I know 32 and 68 partner mm-hmm. to a hundred, I also know 332 and 68 partner to 400. Yeah. 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 Nice. I think it's a really big idea. Um, and so I might, I have you need, and then I might, um, do an investigation where kids are drawing out possible combinations and it could be like an open middle and, and we treat it like a really rich time where kids are messing with what can they find and are they looking for, um, any patterns. So that might be like the end of day one for me. And then in my one third time on that day, I might be doing something where they're playing close to 20. Or they might be doing, you know, it might be something that I'm, I know that I'm eventually going to play close to hundred. So I might be introducing some games in a, in a small group type setting. So then the next day I might come back together and I might say, let's do a get to a friendly number string with some uh, numbers where I'm having them look at 27 and saying how much more to the next friendly number. So we're still looking for partnerships of tens and hundreds. And then we're going to have a, a Congress to pull out the patterns that the kids noticed in the thing that they did the day before. Or maybe I can see playing close to 100, which is one of our favorite games. Maybe during the third times, like I said, I'm playing close to 20 or 100 or even 1,000 with mm-hmm. different groups of students um, because I know they need something different. Which is um, brilliant, right? Because all the kids are playing, quote unquote, the same game. Yeah. But you've differentiated the total that allows them to get, gain more experience where they need more experience. Yeah. Yeah. Or in, in my one third time, I might be, you know, like I mentioned in the last episode, sometimes looking back at work or sometimes doing a problem string with slightly different numbers. If, you know, if I, if I haven't heard the voice of some of my students in whole group, then I might pull half the class and do a problem string. And, and so that I can like more focus in on what some of my kids are thinking. So, you know, it might all be centered around a hundred for a little bit, a couple of days, but we're, like you said, with first grade, if it's doubles is kind of the big idea and, and how they can use doubles, you're tackling it in a couple of different ways. And I, I think a hundred is crucial in third grade. So. Yeah. Hey, really quick. When you said at the end of the, God, I think it was the one third time. Okay. I'm not even sure when it was, but when you were talking about uh, that, you might pull a small group in prep for the next day. Oh yeah. Um, can you say more about that? Sure. So if I know that I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to introduce close to hundred, which is, you know, one of our favorites. And, and I know that I'm going to play that game and I'm going to introduce it maybe whole class. Um, because we, I, you know, we like to do that play against the class, 
so they really understand how to play. But it's a game that I'm going to play all year long. It's not like a one shot game. So you I've start asked, playing. You start, sorry, you start playing against the class so they really understand how to play, so that then you can send you can it send them in, in partners, partners, or small groups. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but there might be times, there might be classes, there might be kids who I know. Maybe there's a lot of instruction to the game, or maybe notating their thinking might be something that they're not really sure how to do. It might be that and there's a whole host of reasons why I might pull a small group and say, "Hey, tomorrow um, we're going to play this game." And I want you guys to be my experts. Like, I really want you to know how to play this game. And it, and it just boosts a little bit of confidence, maybe. Or maybe, you know, it, it's not the kid who's always the expert in the thing. So, so there are times where I might pull a group the week before or a couple of days before and give them some experience before we play as a class. Just sort of so front load just, their experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. Then, and then when you're doing it whole class, because of that, they're able to join yes. in. I yeah. love it. What a wonderful way to um, give yep. them um, that, that, that yeah. experience that just a little extra experience that they need to then be able to join in. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I loved it how you couched it as you guys are going to be my experts. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Everybody wants to be an expert at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. I really like that third grade plan centered okay. around that really big idea. Yeah. Nicely done. Okay. So let me, let me give you a little bit about fifth grade too. Yep. All right. Fifth grade's good. A lot of this depends on the time of the year because, you know, both of us talked about problem strings and games and um, some rich tasks. And those are, I think, essential for the whole year, but there are times where we're getting towards test taking I mentioned, mm-hmm. or we're mm-hmm. getting towards, I need to, I'm, you know, I've introduced a topic and I feel like I need to spend more time with you on it. So fifth grade, depending on the time of the year, I might start with a multiplication string to just get gears turning. And then we might do an investigation about, uh, say like how many boxes could they make with 24 chocolates, which of course leads to conversation about volume and, and later on surface area. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a rich investigation, I might follow up that with um, a problem string about prime factorization or another one of our favorites, the product game. In the one third time, I might be... Hey, before you go to one third. Yeah. So that sounds like you're really maybe focusing around either multiplication or volume. Like that Mm -hmm. sounds like a really fifth grade thing Mm -hmm. to do that we're really getting more sophisticated in multiplication. So let's use volume to do that. Oh, and volume is this thing we need to do anyway. Yeah. And so you're sort of kind of everything, you're doing different things, but they're all building toward facility with multiplication and volume. Yeah. I was going to say they're so connected, right? There's so Mm -hmm. many strategies for multiplication that are going to help so that it's not, here's this formula for volume. Yeah. So in that third time, uh, which is kind of extra, it could be set aside from the two thirds or it could roll right together. I might be setting up a game or a, again, maybe an open middle puzzle for the class to work on. I might be, I might be saying, okay, today you guys are going to play the product game or the play, whatever, uh, pick a game that I've already introduced. And, and that's, you know, we've gone over the expectations for how that's played and, you know, here's your partners or pick your partners or, or whatever. And I'm going to pull small groups of students during that time. So, you know, for 20 minutes, you guys are going to play. They know how to play because we've gone over it together. I'm pulling small groups of kids or maybe I'm free and they're coming to me one-on-one with, hey, I had a chance to look at this assignment that you passed back and I want to talk about whatever, this this thing that I wasn't sure about or I want to talk to you about this thing that I thought I understood and, and maybe I need some more support or, Hey, look at me. I did so fabulous on this and, and I just want to celebrate it. So it might be that I'm freer 
and they're, they just have some kind of back and forth flow between the game and meeting with me. And that game or that task, whatever they're doing at that point is, is something centered around a thing, you know, is yeah. important all year long. And so that's going to be one that you're going to continue to bring back all year. Yeah. And so the kids are like, oh yeah, you know, like this is a, a, a good engaging thing while it frees you up. Um, I'm going to mention one other kind of thing that you might do while it frees you up, frees you up to circulate and listen oh, yeah. in. Right. Yeah, so you sure. get a chance mm-hmm. to kind of hear where students are. And that gives you really good information about what you do next. Because mm-hmm. now you know, you know, oh, everybody's really mastered this game. There's not a lot of thinking going on anymore. Bam, it's time to move up. Yep, for sure. Yeah, cool. Hey, it seems like we're kind of in an odd grade um, habit here because I'm going to go to grade seven. Okay. <laughs> so we'll just <laughs> all right, all stay right. odd a little bit here. One, three, five, seven. All right. So in grade seven, what could it look like? I'm thinking that um, rates are really important. Uh, Often non-unit rates are really important in grade seven. And so I might think about doing a rate string. We did a rate string on the podcast not too long ago. I don't know, a couple months ago. Maybe we'll put that in the show notes of when I did that rate string. But, uh, you know, if, if you're covering... 20 feet in four seconds, how fast are you going? And then 19 feet in four seconds, a, a, a string like that, where kids are kind of starting from a non-unit rate to to a unit rate and back and forth and forth and back. They're also getting some really nice uh, division experience as they do that, but they're getting the sense of, uh, uh, of, of a speed and what that means. And all of that is sort of front loading for what I know they're going to do later with a slope of a line. Um, so this rate stuff. So I might start with that rate string. And then to continue to do that kind of an idea, I might have them do a motion detector investigations. I love motion detectors. Yeah, you do. One of my favorite things to do in rich tasks. And so I might set them off to uh, do some kind of rich task about how do I know what a fast or slow rate looks like? If, I, mm-hmm. if I'm walking fast in front of the CBR, if I'm walking slow in front of the CBR, what do those look like and how do I know and how do I make sense of that? We might have a math Congress on that that sort of leads to um, generalizing things about rates. But then I want to kind of get a little bit more numeric. And so then I'm going to follow that either. I can think of a couple different things I might do, but I think I might follow that with a rate string that gets um, a little bit more picky about the, the rates that they were actually just walking. So instead of 20 feet in four seconds, nobody's going to walk 20 feet in a seat in a, uh, in front of a CBR because you're out of range. And so now I'm going to get kind of picky. Hey, well, if you just in the four seconds that you were just walking, but you only covered two feet, then how fast were you going? So now I can do uh, rates that are um, under one. So it was in a first string, I was sort of playing with rates that are greater than one. Now that I'm playing with rates that are less than one. And so now we're kind of dealing with fractions, which we know is a big deal in middle school. That, that could potentially be a follow-up to that. So if that's happening in the two-thirds time, I might in the one-third time be thinking about, well, in order for them to sort of cover distance or think about timing. So later I might want to say, well, if I started at two feet from the CBR and I walked away to the eight foot mark. Now they have to think about how much distance they've traveled. Well, that's kind of subtraction, but mm-hmm. sort of looking at subtra- the meaning of subtraction, the interpretation of subtraction, that's the distance or difference between the numbers. Yeah. So because of that, I might actually do a subtraction string um, where I, we're, we're thinking about the fact that subtraction has these two interpretations and we're messing around with subtraction so that as we do that differencing in um, finding rates that they have that kind of sense uh, of subtraction happening. But also um, I'm really aware in seventh grade that we're trying to think and reason proportionally. So I might 
think sort of out of what we're doing and say, wow, in order to do all of this proportional reasoning, I need kids who have better facility with their multiplication facts. So we actually mm-hmm. might play the product game here or the factor game. We okay. might do some some gaming so that kids, they build their multiplication sets. Yeah. All right. So there's a grade seven okay. look at what might happen. Oh, and I'm going to mention again, just like you said, that's not all happening in one day. That's over over a couple of days. You can't do all that in one day. Um, I don't don't think so. Even that investigation, that investigation itself should take most of the class period, especially if you do the Congress after it. Um, Yeah. Then the the strings are coming on either ends of those. Okay. So staying odd, I'm going to go to a typical ninth grade uh, or an algebra one course. So whenever you teach algebra one, it might be an eighth grade. We do a lot of the similar, anyway, it's algebra one. But I think you could also do what I'm going to describe in an Algebra 2 course, depending on um, how in-depth you go and how uh, ugly the numbers are. I might think about the fact that we are about to write our first exponential function. And Mm -hmm. so I might say to myself, what needs to happen before we have kids writing exponential functions? And how, what kind of um, data do I want them using to write an exponential function? Do I want it to be messy data that they kind of are approximating? Or do I want it to be exact data? I have to make all these decisions. So um, I'm going to go ahead and decide that, that I want to start with messy data, or at least in this for this thing I'm going to do, it's going to be messy data. And so I might say to myself, the investigation I'm going to work around, the, the rich task I'm going to work around, is I'm going to have students drop a ball under a motion detector or, or just drop a ball against a ruler. And I'm going to have them either use that motion detector or that ruler to measure the max heights. How high is the ball coming up after it bounces? When it bounces, what's the height of the bounce? So we drop a ball, maybe a racquetball or a basketball or something that bounces. And we measure the max height of each bounce and we record that. So now we have for bounce one, we have a height for bounce two, we mm-hmm. have a height for bounce three, we have a height. Well, if you can picture a ball bouncing, but Like mm-hmm. as it bounces, it bounces more often, right? And and then lower and lower, right? It comes yeah. up not as high every time. Yep. So we have sort of this decreasing function. And then I would ask students, you know, like, what, what do you think that is? And then let's write a function for it. But to get into that, I'm going to be really aware that the multiplier is less than one. Because mm-hmm. every time that bounce height is decreasing and that's weird for kids. That's yeah. weird to say that it, it bounced up eight feet the first time. I'm just going to use a nice number. And if it only bounced 75% of the time, 75% of the height, then that that's, that's like a, a multiplier of 0.75. That's weird. And so I might say, I need to front load that experience with giving the kids just this uh, experience of having them know that a sequence can have a multiplier, but the terms are decreasing. The terms are getting lower every time. So I might do a, a string to start off with where the multiplier is decreasing. And I might just say, hey, we're just, it's just a sequence string. I just give them a sequence of numbers where the numbers are decreasing and we find the multiplier and we do some interesting, you know, make the numbers interesting so that they have to like think about it. And But they have this, they already have percolating in their minds that you can have a sequence where the terms are decreasing and it can be multiplicative. And so that multiplier can be less. I know I'm explaining a lot, but, but that's it. That's a big sticky point. And so I want to like have that make sense. So yeah. we do the string. So that's like percolating in their minds. Then we do the investigation. They actually go drop the balls, measure the things. As I circulate and listen to what they're thinking about, they write their first exponential function. We graph it. That the, we have a Congress about what, not really how they found them, but I might actually put up all the ones they found. Mm-hmm. So like each, this group had the tennis ball and this group had the racquetball and this group had the basketball. And I might say, here are the exponential functions that you found. 
Now I'd like you to uh, sort them. Which which one do you think represents which ball and how do you know? And so now yeah. they're kind of having to ask each other, well, did yours bounce really high? Did yours, Did you drop it from a high starting point? So communication happens. Kids are making sense of which number in the function means which thing, whether the start height or the return percentage. Um, they're having to make sense of that. And then I might follow that with, hey, y'all yesterday or you know, whenever we did it yesterday, you did this um, investigation where y'all were finding these different functions. Remind me, remind me what this function, what did this number mean? What did that number mean? What did it look mm-hmm. like in the graph? What did it, what happened with the ball? Okay. All right. We got it. What if I changed it this way? And I just give the new function and I say, what, what would happen in the graph? Well, let's check it out. We look at the graph. We're like, huh? Well, if we change the, what, what was that in the scenario? Ooh, if we drop it from a higher bounce, check out what, how that affected the graph, check out how that hap- affected the function. Okay, here's a new problem three. So I'm doing a problem string that cinches what the different parameters meant in that investigation. So that's an example of what could happen in a a higher grade. Again, we're using the same sort of of lesson structures, problem strings, Mm -hmm. rich Mm -hmm. tasks, congresses, problem strings to cinch. In a, in a way that kind of helps students. I'm aware of our, of our time. The podcast is going a little long. You just dropped some lesson plans for some Algebra 1 teachers. That's amazing. Bam. Bam. Okay, so <laughs> let me do the same thing for pre-cal. Are you ready? Okay, all right. If you're in a pre-calculus class or someone that's teaching trig, one of my favorite things to teach ever was trig. Could I actually do something sort of similar where I think about if, if the main investigation that I'm going to do is uh, we're going to take a, a, a data collector and we're going to collect tuning fork pitches. So I'm going to, or not tuning fork pitch, the sound from a tuning fork. So I'm going to ping a tuning fork. It's going to emit sound. Now tuning fork is specific because it emits just one frequency of a tone and I ping it ping. And when it pings, we, we collect that data with this really cool recording device and it sends that data into a graphing calculator and I, and I can see literally the wave. So picture what you think a sound wave looks like. And I literally can see that wave. And I say, all right, y'all, we've been studying sine, sine functions, write a sinusoidal function to represent this data. And now students have to like, think about, all right, I, what do I know about amplitude? What do I know about period? And what do I, how, how can I mess with the parameters of a sine function to represent this data? Well, if that's the rich task that I want to do with students, then I might think about, well, what are the things students are going to have to mess with? Well, one of the things they're going to have to mess with is finding the amplitude, and they're going to have to do a little bit of subtraction to do that. So we might do a subtraction string. I yeah. might do subtraction string with numbers that are kind of kind of come up in the investigation. But I also, so that, that's a possibility. But I also might think about, so a different possibility. I don't know that I do both of these. I might, I might do one or the other. I might think about the fact that when they write that sinusoidal function, they're going to have to choose between a sine function and a cosine function. And both of those functions have different, uh, what's the word I want, advantages to using when we write, uh, when we when we fit them to data. And so I might want to do something, a, a problem string that helps students think about the difference between sine and cosine, specifically the y-intercept, so that then when they see the y-intercept of their of the data, then they can sort of make sense of which function might make more sense uh, to 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 use as they model that relationship. So do the string to help them think about the differences between the two functions, collect the data, write the, the function that actually fits the data. And then I might think about a string kind of similar to the one we did with the exponential function uh, with the ball drop thing. I mm-hmm. might say to them, okay, like here's a function that you wrote yesterday to match this tuning forks data. By the way, when I taught pre-calculus, I always used to call it pitchfork. 
like <laughs> not on purpose. Not on purpose. I would say, okay, your pitchfork, and they would all laugh at me, and I would like, okay, tuning fork, like whatever, whatever the fork thing is called. Anyway, so so then I might say, yesterday, y'all that had this tuning fork, you had this data. We'd show the data on the graph, and we'd show the function over the data, and then we would, and then I might say, remind me, what is this number? Where do I see that in the graph? Where do I see that? And then, and then how do I know it's this frequency? Ah, okay, okay, okay. What if we change this number? How would that affect the graph? How mm-hmm. would that affect the, the pitch? How would that affect like all the things? Well, the, and then we would discuss that. Well, what if, what if we change this number? How would that? And, and we, again, we're sort of like um, cementing or cinching what the different numbers, the different parameters in the function mean. Okay. So if that's happening in the two thirds, oh, I forgot to talk about what would happen in the one third for algebra one. <laughs> Sorry. So, so let me stay with pre-calculus and then I'll go back to algebra one. So in pre-cal, if we're doing this big idea of, of uh, writing sinusoidal functions to match data, then in the one third time, I might think to myself, what is a big idea that needs to be getting continual experience for kids all year long? Man, they need to have those unit circle relationships. It's not about memorizing all the unit circle stuff. It's about having a couple of them and then how can I use those from there? How can I know something about those special angles and how, or, or even just the y-intercepts and the x-intercepts? How do I, if I know something about those, how can I reason about sine, cosine, and tangent about the rest of those values on the unit circle? So similarly, if I was in algebra one, what's, what are some relationships I want to keep going all year long? Well, in that one third time, I might have students doing something with factoring quadratics, which I think I mentioned in the last episode where I might do this thing where I'm saying, Hey, if I give you these two numbers, what could, uh, what, uh, numbers could you find that would multiply to this, to that, this number as a sum, but also simultaneously add to this or sum to this, uh, add or subtract to this sum. So how could I sum to get these from the same two numbers or and multiply to get this product? And then and then that leads towards when we put all the variables and stuff for kids being able to sort of um, factor quadratics. So those would be some of the things that would be happening in that kind of all year time where I want to keep those things going. And that's really kind of the heart of the one third time for me is that we're we're cycling back, we're we're getting some some maybe pre-teaching or or revisiting things. And, and I love that you're talking about doing that at um, seventh and high school courses as well. So we just tackled six grade levels and that's a lot. And we know Woo! that maybe maybe listeners aren't able to do everything that we just talked about. We know that um, everyone's got different demands and they maybe have different expectations from their schools. Mm-hmm. But we think, 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 <laughs> we think <laughs> that there's an entry point for everyone, right? Absolutely. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, whoa, I mean, that sounds interesting. I'd like, like hand that to me and I'll go do it. And you do want to create it all. We don't think the teachers um, should be expected to be master teachers and master curriculum writers at the same time. Yeah. So, so where might you start? What might you, if you want to dip your toes in and give something a try, just consider carving out some time, find some time once a week that you can commit. I'm going to do a problem string. Start Mm -hmm there. Start with, I'm, Hey y'all like fun Friday, marvelous Monday, terrific Tuesday, whatever it is, a time of the week where you feel like I can get 15 minutes. I'm going to commit. I'm going to do this thing. A place to start is start doing problem strings just quickly. The reason to carve out that time is a, so you'll actually do it, but B it's also by carving it out. I also mean not just like the time itself, 
but actually the space that you set up this time and space with students so that they know during that time and space, you're doing something different. You're doing this thing and they know their ex- they know what their, their role is. They know the expectations during that time. Um, and, and they're able to dive in and do thinking and reasoning that allows them to feel safe during that time that they're like, yes, I can, I don't have to worry about all anything. I can just like dive in and actually think, I know my, my job here is to use what I know, but it also protects you a little bit because kids aren't going to be going, Hey miss, I thought we were supposed to like do that thing that you're like, it's not you saying, all right, from ever after we're going to do this from now on. And then you slip, you forget, you, you know, go back into, I do, we do, you do and just naturally because that's sort of what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And now the kids are giving you this hard time or whatever. It, it gives you this carved out time where you're like, during this time, this is going to happen. You get better at it. They get used to it. Then it can start to permeate more and more of what you do. You know, it's interesting. One of the fascinating comments that I keep getting in our message board. So, you know, we have these online workshops that go on and I'm in the message board, interacting with people, answering their questions. I keep getting this interesting comment that teachers and, and, and leaders are saying that they finally get to experience all the things, not just yeah. hear people talk about them. They say, you know, like, Pam, people talk about growth mindset and they talk about equity and they talk about uh, discourse and you know, blah, 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 all the things. And they're like, but Pam, we actually experience it in your workshop. Right. Right. You know, I, I really appreciate that because they say that it actually is happening naturally, that that what they don't see is me saying, y'all, equity is important and discourse is important and, and growth mindset is important. But they, they experience that I, the way I'm teaching is growth mindset, that, that it is equitable, that you are seeing discourse happen. And then we have this really cool module in our workshops where we sort of step outside and we rewatch some of the clips from what they've just experienced. Right. And we point out, hey, did you notice this was actually a purposeful move I did? to have equity happen. This, this was actually a purposeful move I did that created that discourse that allowed the, the sense and a feel of what was happening so that this discourse happened or, or that, that, that I just did right now, see how that encouraged the growth mindset that then right here, you see a teacher having because of what we just set up. So that, so I think it's a really unique part of our online workshops mm-hmm. where you do the online workshop and you mm-hmm. learn the math. And then we take a look back yeah. certain specific things. And we call out and identify really important things that happen kind of naturally in the workshop. Yeah. And now you can make happen because you're like more, uh, you've, you've experienced more it aware. and now you, yeah. you're, and now you're aware of the things that you have control over as a teacher to instigate so that these things can actually happen in your classroom. And I'm, I'm particularly happy about that. Well, and, and can I just add that it's it's an experience that we don't often get to have in our classrooms because time is passing by as we're making the moment-to-moment decisions. And so you don't get often a chance to look back. But in the workshops, you participate in the math and then you get to look back and you get to like internalize what's happening a little bit and go, ah, like I believe that, I want to do that. And, and it just cements it all the yeah. more in all of us and all of us get better and better. So remember, if you're interested to learn more, registration for my online workshops is currently open, but it's only open until next week, Friday. Eek! The workshops are jam-packed with the content and the guidance you need to change your math class. So if you're dedicated to the Math is Forgettable movement, this is your next step. Y'all, Building Edition for Young Learners, Pre-K-2, Building Powerful Multiplication, anyone who teaches multiplication, so grades three and up, Building Powerful Division, anyone who teaches division, so grades three and up. Building Powerful Proportional Reasoning, 
for anyone who teaches anything to do with proportional reasoning. So really grade six and up, but I want grade five too as well. Mm -hmm. And then building power for linear functions. Boom. My signature work up to this point has just launched, or we're just, we're about to, I guess we're about to just launch because we're we're done with it, but now it's, it's coming out uh, as soon as registration's over. So y'all, if you teach eighth grade, or higher, you are really going to want to look at how we build powerful linear functions. Right. And so registration is only open until next Friday. Remember, we only open registration three times a year. So you need to get in now so that you don't miss out. You can find out more when you head over to mathisfigureoutable.com slash workshops. And that's where you register. Y'all, thank you for tuning in and teaching more and more real math. To find out more about the Math is Figureoutable movement, visit mathisfigureoutable.com. Let's keep spreading the word that math is figureoutable. Thank you for listening and making math more figureoutable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.